missed his boyhood team, the Montreal Canadiens, and Crosby can win it. That was the birth of the Sidney Crosby era, at least for fans of the Montreal Canadiens, popping the bottle on Jose Theodore. And uh, could the Canadiens potentially bring around some substantial changes to the Pittsburgh Penguins if they were the team to beat the Penguins tonight. Welcome back into Melnick in the Afternoon on TSN 690. I'm John Still, filling in for Mitch Melnick. Mitch will be back tomorrow with Andy Bennett and Lucas Scott, and now joined by TSN's Mike Johnson. Mike, how are you? Well, are we teasing a, a fire sale in Pittsburgh? I like it. I mean, Kyle Dubas sort of acknowledged as much, but it's they're a fascinating team because of Crosby being there, because of the commitment to all those old great players and the trade for Carlson and everything else, but it doesn't sound like they'll be staying the same or staying uh, – stationary coming up to the deadline anyways and if they're not stationary like to me there's a necessary like they they need to go backwards like even more so than they're going i don't even know if this is going backwards at this point i mean this has kind of been where they are the last couple of years here but i want to start with carlson not necessarily with crosby he's having an absolutely fantastic year carlson has 39 points in 53 games mike matheson has more points than eric carlson and i don't want to take any shots at mike matheson who's having an exemplary year for the montreal canadians but could you have imagined kind of the struggles that not just eric carlson has had but an eric carlson manned power play would be having with the penguins this year well, that's it. I mean, Carlton actually is not having a certainly not a year like last year, but that was one for the ages. But he's he's having a good, a fine year. It's the power play is so surprisingly, shockingly bad with the players they can put on there: Carlson and Malkin and Latang and Crosby and Gensel and Rust and Raquel. I mean, they have more than enough players. So you know, you probably give a few more points to Eric Carlson that the year would seem more normal. But it, it, the Carlson decision seemed at the time, and in hindsight, an incredibly high-risk transaction because of the term and the age of Carlson and the core group of Pittsburgh. It was sort of like an all-or-nothing attempt to extend the competitive window a little bit, knowing that if it doesn't go well, you're just going to put yourself further down a line that it's going to be really hard to recover from, to turn back away from. And it feels like that's where they are now, is that they're not a bad team. They're they're a good team, but not a Stanley Cup team. And they have another player added to the pile that is, you know, in his mid-30s that is making a lot of money. That's going to be hard to move. So even if you want to try to reset what's going on in Pittsburgh, and I'm with you, things like they feels like they should, um, you know, you're still going to have enough good players to not be terrible and enough good players to take up a ton of salary that you can't really bottom out and, and take advantage of salary flexibility. So it's, it's a jam-up for Kyle Dubas. And remember – this is all with a new ownership group. Fenway mm-hmm. Sports Group owns the Penguins, and I don't know what they signed on for, but I don't know if it's a two or three year reset with Sidney Crosby around. I don't. That, that's going to be hard to it's be a hard sell for Dubas. Just going back to to the Carlson decision, the decision to acquire him, and it's it's not exactly the same, but it does in my mind remind me of the Tavares signing when he was with the Leafs, and that was that what they needed. You know, like it, Christopher Letang is not Eric Carlson. 
but he has manned the point of that Pittsburgh power play successfully for years and years and years and years. And there were people talking in the offseason as soon as they acquired Carlson that, look, when Eric Carlson comes in, he just does things that people don't, and you have to just adjust to who Eric Carlson is, manning the the power play or just playing on the ice at any given moment. It, it does feel like what they needed was – Obviously help on the blue line, but they did need secondary scoring as well. And so I, I don't know if, they, again, hindsight is twenty twenty, but looking back on it, it didn't feel like that's exactly what they needed at that moment. Yeah, I mean, obviously everybody wants Eric Carlson, but yeah, I mean, in a limited cap environment, you can't have everything you want. So maybe it was money they should have allocated elsewhere to a you know more depth score that could help their team. Yeah, I mean that's that was the argument then. That was the, that's the argument now. The Tavares comparison sort of applicable. I mean they had Kadri for that first little bit when Tavares was there, but Tavares also led the Maple Leafs to be a very good team for not not a kind of cup winning team, but mm-hmm. a very good regular season team at least for several years. So in that sense, it, it it's probably worked out better than what's happened so far in Pittsburgh. But yeah, I mean it's not about the player; it's about the makeup of your team, who you have available, and what you spend your assets to acquire and to pay for. And with Latang, they're a right-shot offensive-minded defenseman who works really well with the guys that are already there. Could $10 million be used elsewhere? Probably. Probably should have. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think what you're uh, alluding to is a, is a full-on, like where you're you know, in the bottom five of the league. And I think when you have players like that, they prevent you from getting there because they're too good. And uh, at the same time, I think that what they can pass on to the players that, are, that come into the organization uh, in terms of the standards that we, that we have here, the impact that being around Sid, Gino, Latang, Carlson, each day can have on a young player, it's, it's impossible to measure. And I think um, that's, what we would, that's what we would set out to do. That's part of uh, Kyle, Dubas's, uh, Kyle Dubas's media availability. My God, Mike, that sounds a lot like... Uh Mark Bergevin, Carey Price, circa <laughs> years and years, which is uh, Carey Price is preventing us from being as bad of a team as we need to get kind of the you know the 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 true the true blue prospects that they needed at that point. And yes, he's going to be um, potentially someone that players will look up to or young guys will look up to. the 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 Malkin, the Latang, the Crosby, I kind of understand they're cl- they're legends. Like uh, I would be very surprised if Sidney Crosby wants to leave Pittsburgh. His 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 legacy is wrapped up. What about Carlson? Thirty-three years old. Like from from what you know or from what people talk about him, like how high is winning a Stanley Cup on his priority list? Um, yeah, it's an conversation. I mean, I imagine it's quite high. He's obviously a competitive guy. Don't take for granted his sort of freelancing style of play or his sort of happy-go-lucky demeanor. That you know anybody who's that good is a fierce competitor. Remember how great he was on one leg getting Ottawa within a game. They lost to Pittsburgh, of all teams, Stanley Cup final. Um, he's had a ton of success. I mean, he's a Hall of Fame player, but he's never really – he's never got to the final yet. So I think, it's, I think it's really important. But I also know he has a young family, and, you know, they, they have to, they've dealt with some stuff off the ice that they want to make sure his family is in a good spot to raise their kids. That's probably priority number one. And then getting on a really good team is priority number two. I don't know how that trade happens. He has full no-move protection, so he would have to okay a trip somewhere else. But I guess if Pittsburgh gave some of his salary became a $7.5 million defenseman, you probably could make that deal. Um, I don't know. It feels like that's a lot to have happen in the next two weeks, but maybe in the summer 
mm-hmm. if it doesn't go that well. But they'll start with Gensel and maybe Riley Smith and um, players like that, and then they'll move on from there. But Kyle Dubas is correct. Like They do have too many good players to be terrible, and you get the best, the star rebuilding players in the top three, four picks in the draft, and it doesn't look like they'll finish the bottom three or four, even with the aging group they have. Mike, maybe it's just a romantic notion, but the idea of a player like starting with a team and finishing his career with mm-hmm. the same team, I feel like if I was a player, that would mean something to me. Especially when you've accomplished everything else, right? Like for Crosby, who we know he obviously very competitive, but there's nothing else he could possibly accomplish yeah. individually or as a team. So it makes it a little bit easier to, to have that you know legacy mentality. Like I want to be with one organization, it would be so cool to be with one organization your whole career, whether you're a superstar, all-time great like Crosby, or a role player. Like, it still would be really neat to kind of be that invested in an organization and a community. There is something romantic about it in a sport or all sports that are <laughs> – the romance has kind of been driven out of it with all the, you know, the financial implications yeah. and everything that happened. So um, I think it is a nice thought, and I think it probably rings true to Sidney Crosby, but it's an easier – decision for him to make given that he's won everything if you hadn't won in Pittsburgh if you're Jerome McGinley who kind of bounced around the last couple of years you kind of get why he's doing that as well because he wants to achieve that one thing he has never achieved before now tell me if you can make this make sense and if this is Sabres weirdness or Habs weirdness Habs beat the Ducks five nothing Ducks beat the Sabres four to three then Sabres beat the Habs three to two make it make sense Mike (laughs) The NHL is a complex uh, organism, Andy, and uh, very unpredictable. Randomness, luck, goaltending, shooting percentages have a lot to do with who beats who on any given night. Um, you know, this is how it goes, right? Now, over the course of 80 games, these random sequences like that slush themselves out, and the good teams win more, the bad teams lose more. But this is how it is, and like Anaheim's no good at all. But Buffalo and Montreal are, are essentially the same level of team, so... Um, you know, the fact that Buffalo could beat Montreal totally makes sense. Um, you know, it's a long year, especially this time of year, Andy. Results can get even more unpredictable for the teams that are out of the playoffs that are not going to make it because maybe they're having a bad game or the game gets away from them early and they just don't quite have the energy to, to, to fight into it. Um, but this is how it goes. This is how it goes. And it's, uh, don't be surprised if we see more sequences like that as the rest of the year unwinds. It's uh, Melnick in the Afternoon here on TSN 690. I'm John Still with Andy Bennett and Lucas Scott in conversation with TSN's Mike Johnson. All right, for the Canadians, uh, it's, uh, they're 1-9 on back-to-backs this year, Mike, which is, uh, you know, not ideal. Not ideal for a Canadian team that hasn't hasn't lost a lot in a row, but certainly hasn't won a lot in a row either. This is kind of, you're right on the precipice at the moment for them um, to potentially, you know, be able to – to, to, to rattle off a winning streak that I think would do a lot for their confidence the final last 30 games of the season. And then, you know, they could be right on the precipice of a losing streak that could kind of cost them a little bit. And now in that moment, you have Arbor Jacki playing potentially um, his best game in a very, very long time last night uh, against the Sabres. Just how unique of a player is Jacki when he's at his best? When he's at his best, he's almost unlike anybody in the NHL. Right, like the the full defenseman who's also the, the sheriff, or whatever they call him, you know, a big tough guy that can intimidate with hits, can intimidate with fights, can intimidate with his words, but also is strong enough to to play you know, tough defense, can score some goals with that big shot. There's not many guys like that, and and the whole 
thing for Arbor is, you know, understanding what he does well and then refining his game to maximize those moments. You know, there's going to be mistakes. Foot speed's not the greatest. You know, like there, there'll be moments where the stuff he doesn't do quite as well crop up. But the whole plan is keep those to a minimum, maximize the stuff you do well, and you can see what an impactful player he can be, why the Canadians or several NHL teams would gladly have them on their roster. Um, and I think that's the, you know, Stefan Robida, that's Marty San Luis, just growing him, getting him comfortable to do more of the good stuff and, and steer clear of the stuff where he struggles. And when he does that, he's, he's, he's online. I'm trying to think like, you know, who's the toughest guy in the league. It might be him already. You know, it's Tom Wilson, sort of the forward version of Arbor Jack guy, something like that. And there's a reason why a lot of teams like Tom Wilson and because there is an element that they bring that most players don't. It was probably his most complete game he's played with all the assets that he has. He's a physical player. You saw that tonight. He actually has some good offensive intuition, like uh, instinct. And you saw that his touches were really good offensively. And the hardest part for a defenseman in this league, a young guy, is to defend, like how to read the rush. And, and I feel like he's getting better at these things. He's finding more consistency at these things. There is uh, Martin Saint Louis last night talking about uh, Arbor Jack. Mike, you ever, uh, around this time of year especially, you ever uh, have one guy on your team uh, one second and then you're playing against him the next? Oh, God, yeah. Well, yeah I mean, geez, I have to check all the trades. Like walking like, across the but, dressing room, you're like, what What, what the hell is this? What, what happened? Yeah, I, I don't know if we ever had one, like, day of where, like, he literally walks across the room. But, sure, I mean, it feels like there must have been. I was on teams in Tampa and Arizona where literally – we had 50, 60, 70 transactions over the course of a year. <laughs> guys going to the minors or guys getting traded or whatever it might be. So um, if not the same day, certainly within a few days. And it's very strange. It's very strange, especially if you're friends with them. You know it's part of the business. Um, you know, you, you kind of get over it quickly because you have to. But then when you see them out on the ice, it's, it's, you want to be competitive and fierce, and that's your job. But there's also a, a little bit of a spot, soft spot. You want them to do well. In their new in their new place, but just not I guess that particular night. But yeah, I know it happens, and it's gonna happen gonna happen a lot in the next couple of weeks probably. I was gonna say you must have bumped into a Mike Sillinger once or twice because I was trying I to play think with Billy in there. There we go. <laughs> <for sure. laughs> yes, but uh, Mike, uh, just what's not necessarily what's gone wrong for Colin White, but first round pick, lots to be expected of him when he was in Ottawa hasn't worked out. Now you know he's he's picked up off waivers by the Canadians. And it's unfortunate that he's looked at as kind of just a body here, but that's kind of what he is. Just, you know, what kind of seeing him early in Ottawa and what he's become, what kind of happened there? Well, yeah, I mean, he had the great pre-NHL career, World Junior, fantastic. He played with Mark Stone early on in his NHL career. And Mark Stone, who was so good, is still so good. He made Colin White look like he was probably better than he was. It made Colin White look very dependable in his own end and a bit of a point producer and a really good young player. He got that big contract in Ottawa. And I watched him play many, many times, called his games. I think first off, his, his foot speed is not great. Uh, you know, it's sort of average skater, sort of average size, sort of average strength. So you're like, what's going to separate him to allow him to create? Because I think the thought would be that he'd be an offensive player in the NHL. So how, how is he going to create? If he's not bigger, faster, stronger, he's got to be smarter and maybe better with the puck. And, you know, hockey intelligence, that can be hard to rate. But 
Um, he didn't have sort of great hands or a great shot. He was just he was just an okay NHL player, which is still really good. Was just maybe not as good as they thought he might be coming out of the World Junior experience. And once Mark Stone got traded to Vegas or left to Vegas, you, you sort of saw, well, wait a second, without Stone, he's not quite uh, as effective. So, you know, he's trying to remake himself into a defensive player. He's a right shot guy. He can take some face-offs. He's been around a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I saw him, they've been claiming on waivers, and that's basically it. It sort of speaks more to the lack of depth in center for Montreal than it does the optimism that you might be finding a player in Colin White. I think it's just more they need an NHL player, which he is. He's just not, you know, just not a high-end one. And I waited as long as I could here in Montreal. Four again. Back it comes to Lilligren. Matthews shoots, scores! Number 50 for Austin Matthews in his backyard! Wish there was more noise uh, on that one, but uh, regardless, uh, th- that's my it's my shot at Mullet Arena. Fifty goals in uh, fifty four games—is that it? That's absolutely ridiculous for Austin Matthews getting to that point. We were talking about this earlier, Mike. And look, if we're in Montreal and we're getting ahead of ourselves as to what this guy can do when it's all said and done, we were saying eight nine two possibility. Twenty six years old, three hundred and fifty goals already. Chalk up another 350 if he can maintain this point, this pace till 33. I know it's a lot of what ifs, but it's a trajectory that I don't think is insane to even talk about. No, I mean, it feels premature because it's so far away. You're talking about 15, 60 goal seasons. <laughs> I mean, yeah. like, what is insane mm-hmm. to, to, to think about that? But, I mean, he's the best in the world to do it, he's ahead of where Ovi was in the same number of games played. Now, he's had a couple injuries. He's had a back sort of tweak on him occasionally. Part of what made Ovi so great is that he never got hurt. He was able to play just about every single game he was available for until, you know, maybe the last couple of years. So that's that's a concern. I would imagine he plays, he's got four more years on his contract, right, with Toronto. Mm-hmm. And then I imagine he signs an eight-year extension somewhere else after that. So he's going to play for 12 more years. So, you know, he scored 50 a year for 12 years at 600 plus the 350s that now, yeah, that, that would get him around the neighborhood. So even neighborhood conversation is insane. Um, but what I find most telling is the fact that he scored 50 and 51 yesterday, and it almost feels sort of ho-hum. Like, it doesn't feel like that big of a deal because it feels like he's going to push 60. He's going to push 70. How high can he go? Like, it, the bar is set so high. It's like McDavid getting 120 points. It's like, yeah, I guess. I mean, <laughs> that's, that's what he does when he plays. Like, mm-hmm. Austin scoring 50, that's sort of what he does. Like, it's not that big of a deal. And yet, you know, he's fastest American-born player to ever get to, to that number. He's almost getting 50 and 50. All the different metrics we've shown. It's, um, it's wild what he's doing. And, uh, and the Maple Leafs winning five in a row and without Morgan Raleigh. Like, lots, lots going well right now for Toronto, which is nice because it's been a – sort of a grinding, frustrating year. Um, it's not been easy, despite the gaudy statistics a lot of their stars have. It's not been an easy year, so it's been a nice little run for them. But I think it will get more exciting when he pushes 60, and then Ovechkin has the highest current goal total amongst players that were playing at 65. So when he tries to go by 65, when he tries to get to 70, it will probably even be more exciting because that's something we haven't seen. We've seen 50 last year. How many guys had it? Six guys? Got 50 last year, three guys had 60. So 
So I mean, I don't, I don't think we're that, we're sort of that surprised by it. If he gets to seventy for the first time since what McGillney and Solani in '93, mm-hmm. that will probably be a bit more exciting and sort of more celebrated than a matter of fact. Oh yeah, he got fifty again. He's really good. I think the thing that's upset me the most uh, about this is uh, finding out uh, again for the, the umpteenth time. I knew that I knew this, but finding out again that uh, Alexander McGillney scored 70 goals in an NHL season. He's not in the Hall of Fame. So uh, that, that might you be the most both. part. You and me both. It's just like it's just complete and utter nonsense. But uh, we'll see. Uh, then, you know, he's got to be in the MVP conversation. But uh, anyways, uh, truly some insane things are being done uh, by Austin Matthews. I just wish there was more than 4,600 people to see it last night. Mike Johnson of TSN, thank you very much for uh, taking the time today. And uh, look, uh, have yourself a good weekend. We'll do it all again on Tuesday when Mitch is back. All right, guys. Have a great weekend. Asked me to say some MC rhyme, so I said this rhyme I'm about to say.